so good to be together. I want to welcome you again. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and it's just such a privilege to be together uh, once again uh, over live stream, and I hope you all are having a great day. Grab another cup of coffee if you want to, another throw blanket, get, uh, get comfortable. We're going to dig into God's word right now. Um, if, if at all you're hearing from people that there's any live streaming issues through our website, we're, we've got some redundancies. We've got Facebook, and we've also got Instagram, so if people are having any issues, just tell them how to get uh, to one of those other ways to watch a stream. So I was in Angel's Camp this last week for a couple days, and um, my family back home was running very low on toilet paper. You know you're desperate when you have more people in your family than there are rolls of toilet paper in your cupboard. Um, So when we were up there at Angel's Camp, I got up early one of the mornings to go see if one of the the stores in Angel's Camp had some toilet paper in it. And uh, as I was driving there, I kind of had this catch in my spirit, like... It was his voice, I don't know if it was my own or the Lord's, but it was just kind of saying, hey, should you, even if they have it, should you go buy some from that store because you don't live here? And, and maybe what humility and trust would look like is leaving it there, seeing it and leaving it there for someone who needs it here. Kept driving to the store, didn't know if that was me or the Lord, so I went there and I didn't end up having to make a choice because there was no toilet paper. So I headed right back to, uh, to uh, the place where I was staying and, uh, you know, uh, the, the thought did cross my mind, you know, this place we're staying has extra rolls of toilet paper and we paid for this place. So I wonder if I should take a couple home and that thought very quickly was met with um, a conscience issue that that felt a lot like stealing even though my family needed some things pretty badly. Um, And so I didn't. I didn't take the toilet paper. I still have my integrity intact. But um, I don't bring that up to say, hey, do the right thing, although we should. I bring that up because a person like myself who's known the Lord for a long time, every day I'm experiencing, every day, sometimes it feels like every minute, two roads, two choices, two paths I could take. And um, it's just as real now as it was 10 years ago that I have, it feels like two warring kingdoms pulling at me to act like them. I have the kingdom of this world saying, no, do things our way, it works. And I have the kingdom of Jesus saying, there's a better way. And that is a real reality for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Um, the point of me sharing that is to show the reality that, that a people like us, some of us who've known the Lord for a long time, and if you haven't known the Lord for a long time, there's these two ways, these two sets of values, and these two different kingdoms that are constantly tearing us in different directions. And I know that I belong to Jesus, and I know that when I die, I will be with him forever. But right now, here on earth, I have a choice every single day. And like I said, sometimes it feels like every single minute I have this choice of which kingdom I'm going to represent. What uniform am I going to put on today? Am I going to wear the uniform, the clothing of my old past citizenship of the world? Or am I going to wear the uniform and clothes of my present and my future citizenship, which is the kingdom of Jesus? And that is exactly what the passage today, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, if you want to turn there right now, it's exactly what our passage today addresses. And it is so incredibly timely. In this season we're in of pandemics and lockdowns and tension and and hoarding, who will we represent? 
which kingdom clothes will we wear? What kingdom behavior will win in our daily lives? So open there with me to Colossians 3, verse 1, and it says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, in the last chapter talks about having died with Christ, seek or desire the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, when I was in sixth grade at Modesto Christian School, we had to memorize this uh, whole passage that I'm preaching today. And uh, that part where Christ is seated at the right right hand of God. It always hit me kind of funny. As a sixth grader, I thought, like, was he tired because crucifixion and resurrection is exhausting? And uh, I didn't know, what does it mean that he's seated at the right hand of God? And and that's not what it meant, that he was tired and so he sat down to take a break. No, in, in this day when this was written, speaking of someone being seated, especially at the right hand of someone important, is a sign of royalty. It's a sign of authority and ruling. So where do we often picture a king? seated in a throne, right? So when you read this, that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, God, read this instead, where Christ is enthroned at the right hand of God. Now, Paul is specifically quoting Psalm 110 here. I'd encourage you highly to read that psalm uh, and see what Paul was trying to import, his thoughts about Jesus and who he was. Read that later today. Psalm 110. But notice something. The verse starts out by saying that you have been raised with Christ. So you died in a very major way. Your your old identity died and is put away. Past tense, it's done. And you've been resurrected with Christ and you are with him. So let me ask you a question. If Christ is sitting in a place of authority and we are with him, where does that passage envision us? It envisions us in some way, shape, or form ruling with Jesus. And so if we who have been resurrected with Jesus are in some way ruling with him, what ought we to do? The verse answers this. Seek things that are above And what Paul means by that is the kingdom of God. Seek things, seek desires and actions, behaviors, values that reflect the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom that we are so used to here on earth. To seek the values, the heart, and the behavior of the kingdom of Jesus. To desire that the kingdom of Jesus, and really, what is the kingdom of Jesus? It's the people, the hearts, the minds, and the people where Jesus rules as king. That is his kingdom, or the people that he rules who have surrendered to him. That we would desire that the kingdom of Jesus be expanded above all other desires. So this passage is putting a very critical question in front of us, and especially critical for right now where we find ourselves. And it ought to direct the decisions of our lives every single day. How will you use your influence? How will you rule with what you've been given? How will you exert the authority you have, the influence you have? How will you use it? Will you benefit the old kingdom that you died to? Or will you benefit and walk in the way of the new kingdom that you've been adopted into? He says in verse two, set your minds on things that are above not on the things that are on earth. 
So in the same way that we set our desires on the expansion of Jesus' kingdom, we also set our minds as well. It's not just hopeful wishing or thinking or feeling. We leverage our headspace and our intellect toward the same end, using our intelligent imagination for how we might express the greatness of Jesus to rule, that his rule as king. We are in, in a specifically amazing opportunity to do this right now. This world is struggling. And Jesus' people have brains. We have minds that we've been given by God. Are we leveraging them to figure out ways that we insert Jesus into the situation and show people how much he loves them by doing things for them, by loving them ourselves? Get creative, figure it out, put thought into it. And really, this verse is telling us to think about home. When I was much younger, my family, we took a little sampler vacation in Europe, all over England and France and Italy and, and all different kind of places. And uh, at the end of three weeks of being gone, it was towards the end of the vacation, uh, I was just tired of being away from home. We were in Paris, and we were probably sitting at some cafe or something, and I don't know what we were doing. We're in Paris, this, like, world destination and my mind was not in Paris. My mind was where? It was in Modesto, home. As weird as that is, being in a world-famous place, my mind was home. I wanted to be here. And when I got back home, I wanted to almost kiss the ground <laughs> because it was just so good to be home. And this verse is telling us, set your mind on home, your real home, where Jesus is. Verse 3, 4, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, so it's hidden, it's, it's covered with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So if you're someone who surrendered your life to Jesus, you need to think of your life in the context of two selves, two different identities. One of them, the old, faithless, lost, and rebellious identity is dead and gone. The grammar of this passage, I'm not gonna bore you with it, but it's very clear that that old life, it's a done deal. It's not dying, it's dead. It's not almost dead, it's dead and gone. And your new identity is given to you and defined by Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is your life. He is the definition of your life. He is your new identity. But your new identity isn't necessarily obvious as you look in the mirror. When you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, first thing, do you look at yourself and say, man, that is one handsome, adopted son of God. I don't. I, I look the way I always have. Actually, I look worse than the way I always have, day by day. <laughs> I don't see from looking at the outside what is true of me. Right now, who you are as a royal son or daughter is not obvious to you or the world around. I'm thinking about Paul who's writing this letter from a dungeon prison, he's writing to the Colossians. And if one of the guards would have gotten a hold of this letter he was writing and read all of these claims that Paul made about being in the royal family of God and who we are in Christ and being raised and being glorious, that soldier probably would have had a really good laugh. He probably would have thrown the letter back at Paul 
and said, you're nothing more than a poor, eccentric criminal who's chained to a wall. That's what the world sees. But that is not what is true. When people look at you, either working in your cubicle or swinging a hammer or doing your kids' laundry or teaching a kindergartner how to read or helping someone because you're a healthcare worker in a hospital, when they look at you with their eyes, they don't see a resurrected, adopted, royal son or daughter of a king. But that is what you are if you trust in Jesus. And when Jesus returns, this outer facade of just being an average human being will melt away and what has been hidden will become obvious to everyone that you are raised glorious with Christ. Now, that is not an, uh, an opportunity for us to have pride or to feel superior. This reality of who we truly are when you melt away the outside That reality is a call to live in alignment with what is true. We are called to live now in a manner that is consistent with what will be made obvious then. We are called to rule with Jesus now on his earth with the heart and mind and actions of heaven. Rule on earth, but with the heart and mind and actions of heaven. Think back to page one of the Bible. When God created humanity, what was God's blueprint when he made us? His blueprint was himself. We were created created in God's image. And the definition of being made in God's image, what does it mean to be made in God's image? It was that Man and woman would rule over the earth and fill it with the very good things of God. This is still our mandate. This is still our calling. And so to rule here now with Jesus doesn't look like power and might and violence and hoarding and stockpiling and owning more than anyone else or having more money than anyone else or having more influence than anyone else. Ruling here now means living with the heart of heaven, sacrificial, self-giving love that gives only good to all people. Most specifically, by carrying the gospel of Jesus to them on the back of your good works done for them. So, So Paul, when he writes this, sets up this, these earth and the above kingdom of heaven are these contrasting kingdoms. They both have their sets of beliefs and customs and behaviors, ways of doing things, ways they think are the right way and the wrong way of doing things. And Paul is now going to describe the way of the earth, its values and behaviors that are no longer consistent with the life of a believer, with the life of a new human who is a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, execute, therefore, what is earthly in you. What is that? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, these ways of living, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and idolatry, which is idolatry. In these ways, you too once walked when you were living in them. Now, notice in this list of sins that Paul traces this theme of sexual sin backward from outward, the outward act itself all the way back to the inner desires and motivations that produce the sinful act. 
So he says, put them to death. How do you put those to death when they get, when they're deep in our heart? When we have desires that don't match up with heaven's desires, how do we put those things to death? You stop feeding it. Not just at the behavior level, I won't do these things, but at the desire level. If you want to put sexual sin or any other evil desire to death, you must cut off its lines of nutrition. Those things that you see, hear, and experience that will keep the desire alive. You have to cut off those lines of nutrition. But he says, why does, why does he then say, in these behaviors, you too once walked when you were living in them? He is describing once again behavior that proceeds from an identity. I had an identity that produced these behaviors, but that identity has changed. I used to live in them because that's my identity, and so I used to walk in those ways. The people in the church were those whose identity was that of a human in treason to God. It was. That's what they were. Not loving or trusting him. Their identity was that of a lost slave to their own broken desires. And so that identity produced the broken behavior in the same way that our new identity will produce increasingly healed and holy behavior. Now, Paul also gives a second list of sins here following, all having to do with anger. And this time, moving from the inward feelings and intentions to the outward outburst of anger itself. And this is where the language starts to get really interesting and paints a picture for us. Remember how I earlier talked about what uniform are you going to wear? Which kingdom's clothing are you going to put on today? Read this, verse eight. But now you must put them all away, it says, but literally what Paul said was take off or put off, like clothes, taking off clothes. Take off anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, or it could be translated probably more better, more better, probably better translated, uh, abusive talk from your mouth. Paul starts using language here that in the language he was writing would have caused people to think about taking off clothes and putting on new clothes. Paul is using the metaphor of a human body, like the self, the identity. That's that metaphor of the human body, who I am. And this identity is then clothed in behaviors. So Paul is writing this letter, letter to Christians who have a new identity. It's in stone. It's been changed. It's done. They have a new self. This is a done deal. But the part that is in process, just like you and I, is the decision to wear the old clothes, old behaviors, or put on the new. Are the choices and the behaviors you're wearing fitting for the kingdom you are now a citizen of? Do those clothes fit you anymore? And if they are evil, if they come from evil desires or anger, and really, which one of our sins don't come from an either an evil desire or anger? If, if, if they come from one of those, those clothes don't fit you anymore. Look what he says in verse nine. He, starts, he keeps adding to this list. Do not lie to one another. You guys, citizens of Jesus' kingdom are lovers of the truth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off, there's that picture again of taking off old clothes. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
Desires that are out of control, anger, lies, and all the like are the clothes of a dead man. That rebellious person died and is gone. Your old self, if you are in Christ and have surrendered to him, that old self is dead. So stop wearing a dead man's clothes. Stop wearing a dead woman's clothes, is what Paul is saying. And instead, put on the clothes that fit your new identity, your identity of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You are new. You are new and you are at the same time being renewed in how you think and feel and act. Your identity is absolutely new. It's a done deal. And your thoughts and intentions and behaviors are being renewed to match your new identity. Your identity is that you are a new human being. Christians, those who follow Jesus, are not superior, but they are a new humanity being made in the image of God. We have a new identity completely, and our knowledge and our behavior and our thoughts and our patterns are being renewed in Jesus. In the image of its creator, it says, that language, the image of its creator, this should send our minds flying back to page one of the Bible again, Genesis 1. God makes humans in his image, and our imaging of him is being renewed. We are, are beginning to live now in this upside-down, horrible kingdom with a heart, mind, and behavior of the final, right-side-up kingdom, the way we were designed to be in the first pages of Scripture. So we have a new identity, but it's actually a new old identity. It's a new identity being remade in the image of the original identity, which is Jesus. Verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew. It's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. One of the things we must, as the church, put off, the old clothes we must take off, racism, sexism, classism, Paul's point here couldn't be any more clear. There is no room in Jesus' church for racism, sexism, classism, or any other ism that you can think of. There's no room for it. If you call yourself a Christian, you have no right to evaluate people and divide from people based on dividing lines that Jesus died to destroy. We have no right Jesus died to destroy the boundaries in between us. Who are we as followers of Jesus to put those boundary lines back up in between other people who also call on the name of Jesus? This is not saying that Jesus is indwelling in all people. Some people have read this verse wrong, that Jesus is indwelling in every person, whether they trust him or not. That is not what this is saying. He only indwells those who put their faith in him. This is saying that Jesus will indwell anyone from any nation, tongue, tribe, gender, or class who put their trust in him. And so Paul has told us that the old dead man's clothes that we ought to take off and throw away He's told us we ought to do that, but what do we replace those clothes with? Well, he goes on to explain that in verse 12. Read it with me. Put on, then, again, that's 
picture of dressing. Dress with, then, as God's chosen ones. There's your identity. You're holy and beloved. You are God's chosen ones. You are holy and beloved. So what kind of clothes do we put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, which is another word that can be described as humility. So two humilities right in the middle of this passage, and patience. What? Bearing with one another, so important as we're all locked in our houses together, (laughs) so important, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, who doesn't right now? Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Everything Paul lists here is a reflection of our original design, who we were made to be. Imagers of a loving, self-giving, forgiving, gracious God. Back to Genesis 1 again. God made everything and then commences to fill the earth with things that are good and very good. He then takes humans in his own image, makes them in his own image, and tells them to fill the earth and rule over it. How? By continuing his good work of filling the earth with his goodness. And these verses in Colossians describe that original calling. When we put on the new clothes of our new humanity, we begin to rekindle the original design for how mankind was meant to rule. When we live in a way that is patterned after Jesus Christ, we begin to rekindle our original design, how we were meant to rule. Verse 14, here's where he brings it all together. And above all, Above all these wonderful things you ought to be be and do, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, this is interesting. Paul then says that above all these, the list of the new clothes and new behaviors we ought to put on, we ought to put on love, which he says literally is the perfect binding. And I think what Paul is envisioning here is a belt. You've put all these new clothes on, wrapped yourself with all these new garments, and what do you do to bind them together? You put on this belt of love and tie it off, and they keep bound together by love. These behaviors that he listed that we ought to, these behaviors and way of being are not a haphazard list of good things to do. They are all held together by the common binding of love. We ought never to think that good behavior outside of love is what God intended. Never. God is not only interested just in what we do. He's also intent on transforming why we do it. Heartless, loveless obedience can very easily become the same old dead man's clothes that we were supposed to take off and leave off forever. Should we do the right thing? Yes. Should we be kind and compassionate, loving and forgiving? Yes. Why should we do it is the question. Love. Love is the binding agent that connects all of our new God-imaging behavior to its source, Jesus. If we don't do it in love, we're not connected to the source, Jesus. And if we're not connected to the source, it's just good works that will go wrong. Verse 15, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body 
and be thankful. Paul returns to royal language here. The peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. When love reigns in a community of believers, peace between believers is the natural outcome. Didn't say it's easy, but when love is reigning, peace is the natural outcome. It would be very difficult to be or remain at odds when two parties are both committed to radical, self-giving, humble love. If two parties are both all out committed to that kind of life and love, it would be very difficult to maintain disunity. Paul reminds the Colossians again to be thankful too. And I want to tell you this, gratitude is not only a response to having peace, but it is an instigator of peace. Grateful people who express it to one another create and sustain Christ-given harmony. Have you ever noticed when you truly and genuinely thank someone, look in their eyes and thank them, how the walls just melt, how just the, the walls just come down and, and you're closer than you were? Church, if there's anything I could encourage you to do out of love in these days that we're all stuck together in our homes, wanting to get out desperately, if there's anything I could encourage you to do is thank people. Be grateful. Look people in the eyes and find things to thank them for. And stop together and be thankful for all that you have to God. Life is so much different when we look at it through a grateful lens and when we express that gratefulness to other people. Verse 16, let the word of Christ, let the word, the story, what we know and what we've heard about Jesus dwell in you, not just you individually, but this word is y'all, dwell in y'all richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's why we haven't stopped church because of the coronavirus. We need Jesus' word and we need to sing all these kinds of songs in, in gratefulness to him. We can't stop this. Now he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, or y'all, all y'all, richly. There should be no shortage of supply of believers reminding each other of who Jesus is and who he calls and causes us to become. We shouldn't be shy to remind each other with scripture and songs that Jesus is greater than any old set of dead man's clothes that this world has to offer us. We need to hear it from each other. Don't wear those dead man's clothes. Remember Jesus is greater. Let me sing you a song about that. <laughs> we we need to remind each other. Thankfulness, too. Thankfulness. This is why we don't just teach at church. We also sing. Because the input of teaching needs an output of rejoicing and thanking. And then Paul brings it all down in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This verse brings this all down to a very specific point. Whatever you do, whether putting off of the old or putting on of the new, do everything in the name of Jesus. That in the name of Jesus phrase is not just a churchy sounding phrase. It means something. To do something in someone's name means something. One scholar said it like this. Acting in, in someone's name means both representing him and being empowered 
to do so. You have a royal mandate from a king to go out and says, thus says the king. Here's who he is, here's what he wants, and here's how much he loves you. We are representatives of the king of kings. And again, this phrase, in the name of Jesus, harkens back to that royal motif and that imaging motif. Acting in Jesus' names means that as king, he has commissioned me to his service. But it also means that I am living out an image showing visibly what he is like for the world to see. And here again, gratitude is the only right right response when you consider that the Heavenly Father has included us in Jesus' reign over the earth. Now, my guess is that there are people watching this live stream who are hearing all this talk about belonging to Jesus and being adopted by Jesus and surrendering to Jesus. And you might be saying in your heart, I don't know what that means. I've never done that. I want to tell you that that can change today. As I was reflecting this week about this whole thing we're going through with the coronavirus, um, it occurred to me there are things that scare me. Running out of stuff, I don't like that idea. Um, But getting sick and dying, which I don't think is going to happen, but the thought of it, it just didn't scare me for me. It scared me for my family, the thought of them and what they would go through. But it didn't scare me for me. And the reason why is because I know what happens to me when I take my last breath. I know because of what Jesus did for me, nothing of my own doing, I know where I'm going. I know that there's a life after death. I know that my life will never end. But where will I spend the rest of my eternity? I know not because of anything I've done to earn it, but because of what Jesus did. You may not be in that same place right now. You may be watching this screen saying, I I don't know what it means to be surrendered to Jesus, and that can all change today. You see, Jesus is the king of the earth, and he came and he rules with love and sacrifice, so much love, so much sacrifice, that to pay for your sins, he died on a cross and was raised again. You can know him today, And you can become one of his today by switching loyalties, by taking off the uniform of the old way, by saying the world has not worked for me. I have no peace. All I have is fear, and all I have is a big question mark at the end of my life. And by exchanging that for surrender to Jesus. If you know this morning that's what you need to do, I'm gonna pray right now and I want you to pray after me and in genuineness in your heart, pray this crying out, this prayer to Jesus that he would save you. And if you genuinely turn over your heart to Jesus this morning, you will have everything that this passage talked about, a new identity that will begin to renew who you are. If that's you, in fact, all of us, everyone right now, whether you know Jesus or not, Just close your eyes. Those of you who know Jesus right now from your home, be praying for those who are meeting Jesus for the very first time right now. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, would you just in your heart or out loud, whichever you want, he hears both ways, would you repeat after me? Father in heaven, I need you. I know you love me because your word says so.
but I have lived unsurrendered to you. I have sinned. I have done things my own way. And I am lost. I need you to save me. There is nothing I can do to earn this. There is nothing I can do to deserve this. But I trust in Jesus' death and resurrection alone. And so right here, right now, I surrender my loyalty to you, Jesus. Be my king. Be my savior. Make me new. Thank you for forgiving me. I receive this as a gift in Jesus' name. Amen. If you gave your life to Jesus this morning, I am so happy for you. We are so happy for you. We couldn't be happier for you. And it is so important that you not do this alone. We have this texting service that even though we're apart right now, we can, we can connect. And so if you gave your life to Jesus this morning, would you just text CP prayer to 555-888. Again, that's CP prayer to the number 555-888. And when you get a response back from that, let us know that you gave your life to Jesus. And we'd love to connect you with people and resources that will help you grow from here.